Hello, churches in our diocese, City of Light, Aurora, and Cornerstone West Loop, Cornerstone Bridgeport, Church of the Resurrection, Wheaton, and Emmanuel Anglican Church in Uptown. It's awesome to have a joint series together this summer. Uh, we're looking at God Wants Us Back, 10 Images of Hope from the book of Jeremiah. We're going to begin in Jeremiah 1. This has to do with the calling God has on our life. Uh, my prayer is that each one of us would have a way to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the Word of God so that our callings would bear fruit for God's glory. Let me tell you a little bit about a man uh, whose life I've been reading about recently, whose name is John Perkins. John Perkins grew up in uh, Jim Crow, Mississippi. He grew up the uh, grandson of sharecroppers. He lost both of his parents. And so without a voice and without a choice, John Perkins grew up picking cotton. He grew up without the right to vote. He grew up under the threat of racial violence in the South. He had watched his own brother die from being brutalized by Mississippi state troopers. And he, through his own just hard work and pluck, had gotten himself and his young family out from Southern Mississippi and had moved to Southern California where he was making it. He was making it financially. He was making it in his career. And he felt like, man, I'm free. And during that time, Jesus spoke to him. Jesus got a hold of his life. He became a Christian. He received the Holy Spirit. He began to read the word of God. And God spoke to him through his word. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And he actually asked John Perkins. He called him specifically, I want you to go back. Go back to Mississippi. Make disciples. Seek justice. And John was like, are you serious? You want me to go back to Jim Crow South, to the lynchings, to the KKK, to just the, the fog uh, that hangs over all of life for African Americans? Yeah, I want you to go back. In fact, he got sick until he said yes. The truth is that the living God often asks of us things that feel like it's just too difficult. He plants the seed of his word inside of our souls. And then he calls us to, to bear fruit in his name. It often exceeds our ability. It often asks us to make sacrifices beyond what seem possible or take risks beyond what seem reasonable. For you, it might be the same as John and Vera Mae Perkins, to seek racial reconciliation and justice for the rest of your life. And maybe for you, it has exhausted you and taken your joy in this season. It might be that God has asked you to live faithfully with a lifelong illness or to love someone with a condition that requires your daily and tedious care. It could be that you are called to leadership in your home or in your workplace, uh, carrying your people through crisis after crisis with no end in sight. You might not even know what your calling is, and you fear that your life in the end won't matter and won't bear fruit or glorify God. When God called Jeremiah to be a prophet at the tender age of 16, uh, he had a lot of the same doubts you, or, you and I have about our own life or that we would have in that circumstance. The assignment was too big and too hard, yet God gave Jeremiah encouragement that stayed with him his whole life until the job was done. And I want you and me to hear that same encouragement. And that is that when God plants his word inside of our life, 
he won't relent until it blossoms. When God plants the seed of his word inside of our life, the living God will not relent until that word blossoms. Like a diligent farmer, God won't stop watching over the seeds he plants inside our life. He'll water it, protect it, cultivate it, and personally ensure that it bears fruit. Now, the soil of our life can be quite humble. It often is. God can still plant his word inside of it and make it blossom. Let's consider the humble origins of Jeremiah's life. Um, at the beginning of Jeremiah 1, it says this, that the uh, book of Jeremiah are the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. In other words, Jeremiah was a priest's kid from a small town. His father, Hilkiah, raised his son, Jeremiah, on Israel's history. So Jeremiah, it just appears, had a deep knowledge of the Bible by the time God called him. Anathoth was a small village. You know, it was outside of the power centers, the cultural centers in the land of Judah. There was almond trees that grew there, but we don't know much else about the land of Anathoth. You know, we know later in the book that Jeremiah himself was a pretty emotional guy, that he had a lot of mood swings. He may have suffered from depression, um, yet he had a steely grit. He had a vivid imagination and a way with words. God wanted to use all of that. The truth is that Jeremiah was born into a faithful family during an unfaithful time in Israel's history. Over the course of his life, the nation of Israel went from bad to worse. We read in verse 2, uh, to, whom the, uh, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. The king Josiah instituted reforms throughout the land of Israel that were kind of like surface level, but they didn't really change people's hearts. It didn't really change the culture in the way that would have honored God. In verse 3, it says that it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now, this is even worse. The reign of Jehoiakim and Zedekiah were filled with corruption and scandal. And then, uh, as verse 3 says, it ended with captivity of the whole nation. In other words, Jeremiah was called to ministry after all the really good leaders were out of commission. It's like being drafted to the Chicago Bulls after Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen had left. It's like being hired at Apple after the era of Steve Jobs. We could even imagine Jeremiah complaining to God, like, oh Lord, why wasn't I born in the time of Joshua or Elijah or King David? Oh, I wish I could have crossed the Red Sea with Moses. I wish I could have been at the temple dedication with Solomon. I wish I could have been alive when Israel was truly devoted to you. Why'd you call me in the, the days of Jehoiakim? For goodness sakes, it was nothing like the glory years. Uh, Judah was a shadow of its former self, um, and it just was not like a great time to be an Israelite. I don't envy Jeremiah. Do you ever find yourself wishing you were born under different circumstances, born to different parents, called to serve under different conditions? Do you ever find yourself just like musing to yourself or complaining to God, oh, I wish I was born in different culture. I don't like my home culture. Or if only I were born to parents who were wealthier, if only I could have been raised in a different part of the country, raised in the city or raised in the country. 
If only I were born with a different body, with different abilities and different limitations. If only I had been born with more siblings or less siblings, with more privilege or less privilege. If only I had a different education or if only I were a different race. If only I were raised in a bilingual home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes we wish for a different life. Sometimes we wish we were born into a different era. Listen to what God says to Jeremiah about his humble beginnings. Verse four, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Consider this, Jeremiah was in God's heart before he was ever conceived and before he was ever born. Jeremiah was in God's mind. He was a treasured son of God before he ever came into this world. God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. The word for know here is the way that you would know a closest friend or family member. We might even imagine the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit having a conversation about Jeremiah before he was born. The Father says, let us make Jeremiah in our image and likeness. And then Jesus the Son says, yet also let him show my people what I am like. Make him a suffering servant. And whenever he falls into a pit, let me rescue him. And then the Holy Spirit chimes in saying, let him be born Jewish. He'll be the son of Hilkiah and his wife. And Jeremiah will grow up near uh, the almond trees. And when he's 16, let's call him to ministry. In fact, let's personally put our hand on his life. And it was so. And Jeremiah was formed in his mother's womb. And behold, it was very good. The Lord says, hey, Jeremiah, before you were even formed, I knew who you were and I treasured you. You and all of the circumstances of your life were precious to me and intentional. And you're still precious to me and your life still has value and purpose. Receiving our call, whatever our call might be, begins with accepting God's intentional design of our life, our ethnicity, our parents, our limitations, our talents, our culture, and our time in history. Receiving our call begins with offering all of those things up to the Lord, all of those features up to God as a living sacrifice and saying, Lord God, what do you want me to do with all of these things that you have made my life up with? All these gifts, all these limitations, all these features, how can I glorify you? How can I be the one who bears the fruit of your word in the soil of my life? Your life matters to God more than you know. Every day that you do with your life matters to God more than you know. We were in his mind and his heart before we were conceived. And he intends to plant the seed of his word into the soil of our life. That is one of the ways that he honors us by putting the seed of his word inside of our life, our specific life, not our generic life. Now consider how determined God is to bear fruit through Jeremiah's life. Jeremiah levels an objection to God in verse six. He says, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I'm only a youth. Now the Hebrew word for ah is ah. It's just ah. It's the same in English as in Hebrew as in any other language. It's like, I'm afraid. Can I please have a different calling? 
Jeremiah is saying, hey, God, I can't talk good. I'm just a kid. And maybe Jeremiah was insecure about being monolingual. Uh, A prophet is supposed to speak. God's calling him to be a prophet to the nations. Nations uh, speak a lot of different languages. Or maybe he was intimidated by the nations. Jeremiah came from Judah, which was a small nation, a bullied nation, kind of a loser nation at the time. uh, Judah at the time was sort of like the freshman that walks into the gym when the seniors are having a dodgeball game. And it's like, oh yeah, big Assyria is like whipping the dodgeball at Egypt. And uh, well, Egypt's kind of scrappy. Egypt's like whipping it right back. But then there's like, oh, there's like this new senior. It's like Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And he's like the one who's really taken over the game. And Judah's just in the middle being like, ah, getting hit from every side, like trying to hide between the different seniors. But then, but then the, the power changes hands and Judah just gets whipped. It just gets bullied. And like Jeremiah's going to be the one speaking on behalf of Judah, making all the kings mad. We can understand why he would be insecure. So Jeremiah says, God, you're putting a calling on my life that is exceeding my ability. I cannot do this. I'm young. I'm 16 years old. Maybe Jeremiah just wants like a quiet local ministry you know, next to the almond trees, you know, eating some almonds, doing some ministry, a nice quiet life. We can understand that with all of the international tumult around Jeremiah, that he would be afraid. So I am personally encouraged by the Lord's response to Jeremiah. Verse seven, God says, uh, the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Verse eight, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Notice that the Lord does not say, there, there, Jeremiah, you are a very special boy and you're very talented. And I'm sure that your charm and your talents are just gonna win over all those mean, nasty kings. And they'll turn to me because you're just really, really special. No, the Lord says, Jeremiah, I've asked you to do something and you're gonna do it. You're gonna do it and I'm gonna help you. He says, you shall go, you shall speak, I am with you. You shall go, you shall speak, I am with you. The Lord is dogged in bearing fruit through our life, and he is calling us to a level of doggedness and endurance and courage that we didn't even know that we were capable of. Not unless he called us, not unless he asked us to come forward, and he doesn't put the pressure on us saying, I'm sure you'll perform fine. No, he's performing his word through us. How comforting this would have been to Jeremiah to know that he had a rescuer right by his side. It was as if the Lord said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I marched with Moses through the Red Sea and I marched with Joshua around Jericho and I marched with David to face Goliath and Jeremiah, I will march with you. I'll be there when you fall into pits and I'll be there when you face princes and like a gardener, planting a seed inside fertile ground, the Lord planted his word inside Jeremiah's mouth 
and dedicated himself to watch over it until it bore fruit. Verse 9, then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So the Lord puts his word inside Jeremiah's mouth as if his mouth was soil. And then he gave him authority over the nations in the process. Now notice that the power of the Lord came not from Jeremiah's talents, but the promise planted inside of him. For the rest of Jeremiah's life, he was doing lots and lots of plucking up, breaking down, destroying and overthrowing. And that was God's way of building and planting. So there was an inverse relationship for Jeremiah between how happy God was and how happy people were. So if God was happy with Jeremiah, that was going to mean that powerful people were going to be very upset with him. And if powerful people were happy with Jeremiah and pleased, God was very likely not pleased at all. So the only way for the seed of God's word to germinate through Jeremiah was through God's power and Jeremiah's suffering. Here's what one uh, commentator said about Jeremiah. Jeremiah suffered both physically and emotionally probably more than any other prophet. He spent a night in the stocks and several periods in cisterns and prisons of various sorts. He experienced a plot against his life by the people of his own village. In addition, he suffered the ostracism and misunderstanding of priests, prophets, officials, and ordinary people over many years. So how did Jeremiah do it? How did he get through all of the hard days? And how do we get through all of our hard days? How do we become the kinds of people through whom God bears fruit, the fruit of his word, that bears fruit through his power and our stamina and suffering. Um, what if it seems like too great for our stamina? What if it just like, I can't handle this. I can't handle 2020, let alone whatever calling God is putting on me in 2020. What if we don't even know what our calling is? What if we haven't fulfilled our calling like we had always hoped? How do we keep our hearts when we feel scared? And how do we keep our vows to God when they cost us more than we'd ever imagined? Um, I'm encouraged by the first vision that God gave Jeremiah after this initial call. It's a hopeful image that I'm hoping that we can take with us um, into the rest of this series and into the rest of our life. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. The Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. Jeremiah knew almond branches. He knew almond trees. He had grown up watching them blossom white in the summer, or white in the spring, bear fruit in the summer, and then grow dormant over the fall and winter months. Now we can picture the Lord like watching over the almond branch day after day, like never taking his eye off of it, patiently waiting for the blossom. You know, after the weeks and months pass, we might start doubting, Lord, is this almond branch ever going to blossom? Is my life ever going to amount to anything? Is it just dead? Is it kind of like, are you 
am I too boring for you? Is my life too humble for you? Maybe you're moving on to kind of, kind of the next hot thing. And God's like, shh, 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 quiet. It's about to blossom. Keep watching. Our calling unfolds at an agricultural pace. And the Lord God isn't afraid of that. He's not bored by that. He's watching over the almond branch until it bears fruit. He knows that it will bear fruit. If farmers are patient, farmers are dogged, farmers don't take their eye off the plant. They don't stop watering the plant. They don't stop, they don't stop tilling. They don't stop preparing. They don't stop cultivating until they see that there's germination and growth and fruit. God is watching over his word that he has planted into our life to perform it. So much growth in our calling comes from watching over God's word in our life. For John Perkins, it seemed like justice only rolled down one teardrop at a time. He said yes to God. He moved back to Mississippi um, right before 1960. So right before the racial unrest hit its peak, and the backlash of white violence on the African-American community uh, came in its full, full stroke, fell on John Perkins specifically. He got the cold shoulder from white pastors while working to unify the church. His kids were the first African-American kids at their newly integrated schools, and they paid a dear price for it. Doc, Dr. Perkins himself, after having some success in organizing for justice, um, was uh, arrested, beaten, and tortured all night by Mississippi State Police. Um, and yet, here's what his own daughter says about his legacy now. As my father forged ahead, he has become a spiritual father to thousands of people, not only to those in his generation, but also to so many who have followed. Some of you watching this sermon right now are yourselves spiritual sons or daughters of Dr. Perkins, as you carry out the work that he gave birth to, uh, especially those who have been impacted by the Christian Community Development Associations. God called him to make disciples. God called him to seek justice. Man, it was harder than he ever thought it would be. And yet now justice rolls down through his life, through his testimony, through his example, like a mighty water, like a waterfall. What word has God planted inside of you? Have you given up on it? Does it just seem like because you can't see the growth that it's not happening anymore? What word has God planted maybe inside your marriage, inside your family, inside your church? It may be time for us to dig out those old life verses that we received as kids. It may be time to unearth those promises, those scriptures spoken over our marriages at their beginning, spoken over um, our families spoken over our churches when we were just church plants. What did God speak over our life when we were in a vulnerable place? What promise did he make? Have we given up on those in a way that we know God has not? It may be time for us, if we've never received an encouragement from God's word, to open God's word and begin to ask him to speak to us again. You say, Lord Jesus, speak to me through your word and, and remind me the calling that you've given me. God is dogged and patient in bringing his word to fruitfulness. And it, it, it is in this hour of trial that he will actually cause his calling and cause that seed to germinate and bear fruit. Let it be said of us, Emmanuel Anglican, city of light, cornerstone, resurrection, 
that God planted his word inside of our life. God planted his word inside of our churches, and he did not relent until it blossomed. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.